Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit speaking to us by the word of God. We receive tonight, Father, in Jesus' name, your word as it is, the word of God. And we thank you that you will begin to open up our hearts, open up our lives, open up our eyes, and that we would just continue to press in to what it is that you're wanting to do and what you're wanting to say. And we give you thanks and praise for it. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, even at the very beginning of this service tonight in the preaching of the word, that the spirit of God would keep the word that's being communicated to us tonight. We know, Jesus, you said that the devil is going to come immediately for the sake of the word, but we say in Jesus' name, he can't snatch the word from us. He won't get the word from us. It's going to be down in our spirit, deposited into our hearts, and deposited into our spirit, and that we will begin to apply the things that we have learned, the things that we have seen, and we give you all the thanks and praise, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this evening, let's turn to 1 John, and we're going to take a look at some things the Lord has been putting on my spirit, and I believe that's going to encourage you tonight. How many of you are glad you came to church tonight? 1 John chapter 3. Uh, the, the Gospel of, of John obviously gives us the greatest scripture, the central theme and context of the whole entire book, John 3.16, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish. And as Dr. Mize has taught me uh, since I was 15 years old, they should not, Brian, but they are every day. They should not, should not perish, but they are every day. They're perishing every day. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son, 17... God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Through him, Jesus, the world might be saved. So we see the same author here. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the author of the whole thing. But the same author, the Apostle John, has written letters to the churches at the end. He's recorded the gospel and the workings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he's at the toward the end of his life, and he's writing to churches, he's writing to brethren, and he's encouraging them. And it's interesting for me to see... I, I, Whenever you pay attention to the Word, whenever you pay, we should all pay attention to the Word. Amen. But whenever we pay attention to the Word of God and the Scripture, I just want to encourage you to re remember, put the human element back into this thing. Realize that this is a man who's writing these things by the order of the Holy Spirit. So you look at John, he's walked with Jesus. He's talked with Jesus. He was there to see Jesus' death, his, his, he was the one, the Bible tells us, that Jesus said, hey, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. John's the beloved disciple of the Lord. The Bible tells us that John lay his head on the, on the chest of Jesus. He sat with him and he walked with him. He walked with him in a fellowship and he walked with him in relationship that was only, uh, it was extremely rare. It was unlike the others. We see the multitudes thronging Jesus and obviously Jesus spent time with them and ministered to them. And then we see the, the 120 that Jesus fellowshiped with. There's a couple of different references other than the day of Pentecost. And then we see the 70 that 
that go out and minister and Jesus spent time with. And we see these women, the, the, the Bible tells us, that came and gave of their sustenance, they gave of their, their finances and gave offerings and helped uh, the, the ministry of Jesus. But then we get down to the 12, and we see that these are the ones that Jesus, the Bible tells us, handpicked himself. He handpicked these 12 to spend time with him, that they would fellowship with him. And then of the 12, it even gets divided again to this inner circle of the three. We see a couple of different mentions of this in the, in the Gospels, but one in particular, you all remember Jairus' daughter. The Bible says that the, the uh, servants of Jairus' house came and found Jesus, and he came into the throng of this crowd trying to get through, and he comes across this woman who has an issue of blood. Jesus stops, and this lady tells him the whole entire story of everything that she, the Bible says, suffered at the hands of the physicians, and yet she grew not any better, but worse. And here, while this is happening, Jesus is trying to get there, and someone comes up and says, hey, Jairus, your daughter, she just died. And Jesus turns immediately and says, hey, listen, just have faith in God. Just hang in. Don't, don't get done. And so the Bible tells us that they continued on their way and got to Jairus's house. And when they got there, Jesus got everybody in the room where the girl was out, except for three people, Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, and John are in an elite fellowship. They're in a unique relationship with Jesus. And it's always interesting for me, I said all of that to say when you're reading these things, put in that human element of who it is that's actually speaking. So you're talking about someone who was the absolute closest to Jesus on planet Earth spent more time with Jesus in intimate settings than anyone else. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus did things together that the rest of the 12 didn't get to go and be a part of. And here, toward the end of his life, he's writing these letters to churches before he's exiled to the Isle of Patmos and receives a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's writing these letters, and it's interesting that we look. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 5, it's all about love. Walk in love. Love God love each other, love the church, love God, love each other, love the church, serve one another, give to one another, esteem one another, love God, love each other, love the church, over and over and over again. He could have said anything in the world in these letters, but he's putting an emphasis on the love of God. Again, we talked about this, the central theme of our whole entire Bible John 3.16, God so loved the world. So the Apostle John is writing by the direction of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the churches, and he says, listen, you guys need to get this, you need to get it right, and you need to get it down. You've got to walk in love with each other. You know what I found is interesting? Is that walking in love isn't always a holiday on Primrose Lane. Sometimes love brings correction. Sometimes love brings discipline. The Bible says that those that God loves, he chastises. Remember the Bible. So there are times when we have to bring correction and bring instruction and, and bring rebuke. And that's all part of love. It just has to do with the condition of our heart and our attitude toward the person that we're talking about. So I, again, as you go through and just kind of study the Word of God... Think about the people that are writing 
They're being used by the Holy Spirit. But think about, here's, here's, here's a little theological seminary for you. I won't charge you anything for it. It'll be free. But our first law of Bible studying, the art of studying the Bible, the first law of Bible interpretation is to keep and observe the context. There are laws that guard and govern how we study the Word of God and how we make sure that we know what the Word is saying and to whom it is saying it to. This is the law of Bible interpretation. Amen? So when you see, when you see that's called hermeneutics, when you see this, this person that's speaking, then you don't, you don't remove him from the equation, you keep him into the equation. You find out who's talking. Well, who's talking in the context? We haven't heard the verses yet, but the Apostle John is talking. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. How do we know that? Because he calls them the beloved. He calls them the brethren. He calls them the elect. In, this, in Second John, he talks about the elect lady whose sons are walking in love. He's talking about the, the church. And he's talking, some theologians believe, he's actually writing to a woman, and he's talking about not only the natural sons that she has, but also the spiritual sons. So we're looking at this hermeneutically, and we're saying, hey, this guy is talking to us about some things that he's seen and some things that he's experienced, and he's bringing us through this whole entire discourse, and he's telling us there's an emphasis on walking in love. There's an emphasis on acting like you love one another. And we'll get into some verses here in just a moment, but it's absolutely staggering to see that by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John says, if you don't love each other, you don't love God. And if you don't love God, then you're not born again. That's what he said. So there's a, a lot to be seen and a lot to be learned. First John chapter 3, verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. The children of God and the children of the devil. So we're talking about how many kingdoms here in the context. Two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the devil. He said, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You can't even say you're living in the kingdom of God if you don't love your brother. can't even say you're living. This is how we know. You're manifest. Now, the 14th verse, but it says, hey, guys, this is how we know that we've passed from death to life. This is how we know that we've passed from death into life. How? Because we love the brethren. These are some heavy things that the Apostle John is saying to the church by the Holy Ghost. Now this could cross over into grace, and people, you could talk about this, but God cares how we treat each other. It matters to God how we treat each other. It matters to God how we treat the, the lost. It matters to God how we treat the, the broken and the destitute and the maimed and the halt and the blind. It matters to God how we, how we treat people. I think it was Sherry. She shared a, a post on Facebook. I believe it was today. I don't get on Facebook that much. But it said something to the uh, regard of, it doesn't matter if you've stood with the greatest if you're not willing to sit with the broken. I believe that was something to that, uh, to that effect. 
Well, we're supposed to see people in need and see people in hurt and be moved with compassion toward them. Amen? The 14th verse says, This is how we know you've passed from life unto death. This is how we know that the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested, that they work works of righteousness and they love the brethren. Whoa. That's heavy. That's heavy. It matters how I treat people. It matters how I treat people. Amen? Walking in unity, walking in love, walking with a regard and a respect to people. These are the rules of the kingdom. See, a lot of times we get into this place where we, we, we just want to, and, and I think it's an American thing more than it is a human nature thing because we live in the land of instant gratification. We do. I mean, it's hilarious to think about this when you really stop and think about the pressures that we face in America. We whipped through a drive through at McDonald's or Burger King, and we're absolutely ticked off because it took 120 seconds for them to make me a hamburger. We've been pre-programmed for instant gratification. And so what happens, and I believe this happens more so in the American church than it does in other churches, we want to go from born again to the glory right now, as fast as we possibly can. Well, the problem with that is many things, but the problem with that, number one, is you have no root within yourself. There's no foundation. Can the Christian who's born again today minister to someone today? Absolutely. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about just picking up and running after whatever it is that we want to do. We want to get to the glory and get to the power, but we haven't put in the necessary steps first. We want to go from here to here, and we don't want to go through any of the process of change and growth and maturity. Well, the Bible, unfortunately, unfortunately, the Bible says it doesn't happen that way. And it doesn't work that way. So again, we're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God as a kingdom of power, and the kingdom of God as a kingdom of love. And power is only released through and by love. Power is only released through and by love. You cannot go and minister to someone unless you love them. And here's the situation. I've, I've seen this in my own life. And I've seen it in others as well. We go and we pray for somebody because we're going through the spiritual motion and we're doing the rudimentary things that we're supposed to do. We know that we're supposed to lay hands on the sick, but yet there are times, not all the time, but there are times, and if you say that it isn't true for yourself, you're probably lying and you shouldn't lie in church. There are times when we're going through the motion and our motivation isn't, I love this person enough, I don't want them to have a headache. I love this person so much, I want this power, this problem, this ache, this pain to be broken from them, not so they can say, wow, you carry a great anointing, but because I want them to know that I love them and I care for them. But we've missed sometimes that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power that works by love. It's awful good preaching in this Holy Ghost Word of Faith Church on a Wednesday night. 14, again, I'm going to read it again. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who doesn't love his brother abides in death. By this, 16, we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also 
to lay down our lives for the brethren. Isn't it interesting that that 16th verse doesn't say, hey, the love of God was manifest because we see him laying down his life for us, so then naturally we should then lay down our lives for him? But that's not what it said. Let's read it again just for fun. It says this, the 16th verse, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and it says we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. My goals, my dreams, my ambitions, my wants, my desires, my passions. I want you to keep your finger here for just a moment. We're going to bounce back and forth between a couple of different writings. Are you okay tonight? This is good preaching. I believe that you're receiving it. I don't believe I'm being hard or mean. I believe I'm being edifying and helpful. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You there, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Again, this is the Apostle Paul by the Holy Ghost writing to the church in Philippi. He says, let this mind. In other words, this is a determination that you and I have to have. We have things that we have absolutely received as a, as a matter of fact, like new birth and righteousness. They're built in. But then we have things that we have to give ourselves over to, yield ourselves to, submit ourselves to, and surrender ourselves to. And, and incidentally, most of the time I talk about submission, I'm talking about submission to the Word of God. I'm talking about submission to the, the Lordship, the Master, or the rule of the person, Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about submitting to me. I can't force you to do that anyway. He said, let this, allow this, give way to this mind let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7 is so powerful. He made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He was God in the flesh, and he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself and positioned himself. Well, let's just read the Bible. I don't even need to add to it. This is so good. He says, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, therefore, God also highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. But what came before this exaltation? A humility. Now, I submit this to you. Again, we're talking about living in the kingdom. I submit this to you. If Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, made himself of no reputation, if Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, suppressed his own personal, as a human, suppressed his own personal passions and desires and, and pressing into trying to, man, I'm going to work for my dad and be the best carpenter there is in the world. Well, he didn't do that. He suppressed his own desire and his own passion and his own goals and his own you know, desire to achieve certain things. He made himself of no reputation. And the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, saying, you need to be just like him. You need to be just like this. You need to think this same way. Let go of your goal. Let go of your vision. Let go of your dream. And 
lift up your brother, lift up your sister, and prefer your brother in Christ more than you prefer yourself. And if you'll do that, then your goal and your dream and your day, your time of exaltation is going to come. James says this way, he says, listen, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in your own due time. That doesn't say just hang up your dream and just say, well, I guess I should have never dreamed the dream. It's never going to happen. That means submit the dream to the timing and the lordship of Jesus and allow him. Just humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Make yourself of no reputation. Push pause on your goals and your plans and your visions and your dreams and pursue the visions and the goals and the dreams of your brother or your sister around you, preferring one another better than yourselves. It's okay if we just talk about the Bible a little bit tonight, right? And if we'll do that, God will exalt you in your own due time. See, we talk a lot about faith because we're a Word of Faith church. And, and I realize we've got a lot of visitors that have come and been in the church and don't quite understand all the language and all the things that, that we say maybe. But what it means to be a Word of Faith Christian is we exalt the authority of God's Word above everything else on earth. Above everything. Above how our body feels. Above what our pocketbook looks like. Above what the president's doing. Even above what Donald Trump is doing. We exalt the authority of God's Word above everything on earth. And we say, God's word is absolute authority and absolute truth. And we trust and rely upon the validity that his word is good and his word is truth. That's what it means to be a word of faith Christian. Some people think what it means to be a word of faith Christian is you believe in materialism. Well, that's stupid. We believe in Bible provision in every single aspect of a human being's life, spirit, soul, and body, physically, financially, emotionally, socially, and spiritually, God will provide whatever we have need of according to his riches and glory by Christ. So we're word of faith Christians. We talk a lot about faith, and the Bible talks a lot about faith. But the Bible tells us regarding faith that faith can only work by but what? Faith worketh by love. Your faith will not work if the motivation and driving force behind you is, I don't want just to have the fruit that's going to come from me laying hands on somebody. And honestly, I don't believe that that's the motivation of everybody, but I do know that that is the motivation of some people. Because I've seen it, and so have you. And I've seen it in me, and probably so have you, if you'd be honest. But again, going back to this point, I love you so much. I have compassion for you so much. I want to bear up your burden and be a brother to you, or be a sister, depending on how that applies to you, to the degree that I want you to be pain-free, not because I want people to say, well, if you go to Pastor Brian, he'll pray for you if you've got a headache, and it'll go away. No, because I love you. <laughs> And faith only works by love. Only. The gifts of the Spirit only work by love. 
1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14. It's the power of God, the manifestation and releasing of the gifts of the Spirit in the tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the manifestation of prophecy is sandwiched all in the middle with love. And the Bible tells us three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Well, why is that? Pastor, you missed Valentine's Day, bro. It was a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about Valentine's Day. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love and a kingdom of power. And only can the power of God be released because of the love of God in our heart. I'll give you another verse because you're looking at me strange. He says, now faith does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. My faith won't disappoint because God's love is abiding on the inside of me and it was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. The release of God's power on the cross to raise Jesus up from the dead. We played a song pre-service and it says that God robbed the grave, triumphing and beating and making another spectacle of death in hell in the grave. And he did it because he so loved the world. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you getting this? Because you're looking at me in a tone of voice like I'm speaking a different language. And I don't do that very well except for tongues. Let's go back over to 1 John and we'll keep looking at some things because we're having fun, right? He talks about walking in love. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, I, I just, this, this verse to me drives me. 1 John 3.17 says, He who has this world's goods, I'm quoting it in King James, He who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shutteth up the bowels of compassion from him, from whom? From the one who's in need. We shut off the bowels of compassion from the one who's in need. Then John poses this question again by the will and by the instruction and by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you have this world's goods, you know, sometimes we get a little funny as Christians and we think, well, I don't have any money in my pocket. Think about something that exists inside the, the, the framework of the world. Outside of money. What's, what's, what's a commodity in earth and in this world that's not monetary? I'm looking for a specific word. It starts with a T and ends with an I'm. He who has this world's goods. He who has time. You don't have to have U.S. dollars. Do you have any time? If you see your brother in need and you shut up the bowels of compassion within you, he poses this question, how be it the love of God dwell in him? What that means in today's language, that dude doesn't love God. 
if he won't give somebody time. That's how we would say it in 2016. Oh, that dude doesn't love God. He won't even give his brother time. This world's goods. Time doesn't exist in heaven. Eternity is timeless. Heaven is timeless. See, we've been talking about these things, and people have said, man, you're hitting it awful hard, and you're kind of being harsh, and you're kind of being mean, because the Bible has given us a manifesto of love. And the Bible tells us that if we shut up the world's goods from a brother who's in need, that means if somebody calls me, Jamie, on a Sunday afternoon when I just got done preaching, and I've been in the building since 630, if I have the love of God on the inside of me, then I go and help that person. And there's not a restriction on how much time I spend with them. Because I go to help them, because I can't shut up the bowels of compassion from them. Well, yeah, but what about, you know, your plan and you, get, you had lunch and you got kids and you got a family and you got, yeah, I have this world's goods. Well, I just don't think that people need that much time. Well, <laughs> who died and made you boss? It's getting awful quiet in this Holy Ghost church on a Wednesday night. You are not exempt just because you don't have U.S. currency in your wallet to give compassion to someone who's in need. And many, 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 many times what they need is not money anyway. Many times they just need someone to sit there and listen to them. And look them in the eye, not lying, but look them in the eye and say, you know what, I don't know a whole lot, but I do know this. This too is going to work out for your good. I'm just preaching real. This is how we know we've passed from death into life. Because we've loved the brethren. We should let this mind be in us that was also in Christ. We make ourselves of no reputation. We lay aside our passions and our desires and our dreams. And, and we say, you know what, Justin's just important enough for me to be able to invest some time into him. Or Kent, even Kent, is important enough to spend time with him and to love on him and to encourage him. If you have this world's goods and you see somebody in need, and I'm just going to be real with you and you can say anything you want about it, I don't care. Someone reaches out to you and your schedule that day is more important than not only shame on you but shame on all of us. In the Bible asks the question, how is the love of God in you if that person isn't as important as your little thing that you've got to do that day? We want to be a powerful church, right? That wasn't a question. We want to be a powerful church, right? We want to be a mature church with fruit growing on our limbs everywhere we go, right? Three of us do? Well, if we do, then we've got to do the Bible. How many of you think we could just keep on going on this? Eighteen. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
By this we know, 19, that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Don't fool yourself. 22 is in direct relationship to the previous mention of walking in love and, and being a brother and helping people. 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And right alongside of believing on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, we should love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us because of the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every word. He goes into about testing the spirits and testing the hearts. Verse 7, chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Whoever shuts up this world's goods... The love of God isn't dwelling in you. It's not dwelling in me. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. Nine, in this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, this is talking about the nature or the type of love that God loved us with. What's he talking about? He's drawn a comparison or a parallel to giving of himself in a total sacrificial act of love. If God so loved us, then ought we not love one another the same way? So you think that I'm just being hard and I'm being opinionated because your little schedule is more important to, than anything else that's going on, but I'm not being opinionated and I'm not being hard. I'm telling you that this is the Word of God. We went through this whole thing, and I set you up on purpose. I talked about John the Beloved and how he was intimate with Jesus. Only two other people on earth had the walk with God that the Apostle John did. The Bible tells us that on the day of the resurrection, that John ran into the temple, excuse me, into the tomb to see Jesus had been risen from the dead. He records it this way, and the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter and went into the tomb. This man was passionately in love with Jesus. He was there to witness this crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. He gave personal testimony that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He went and he saw him. He was there when they put their hands inside of his body and they saw him on the way. He was presented the, the real life proof. And yet he's talking about, I got to love Justin. And if I don't love Justin, and if I exalt my schedule, or if I exalt my... Well, pastor, are you saying that I shouldn't go to church? That's nonsense. Of course you go to church. Well, you're saying I shouldn't go to work? That's nonsense. Of course you go to work. 
I'm talking about, <laughs> boy, this will get a lot of amens, I'm sure. What we consider a lot of times family time is just a guise for us to be able to be inactive. And we hide it under, well, we're just doing family stuff. Well, how many days of the week and how many hours of the day are you doing family stuff? When are you going to do ministry stuff and kingdom stuff? Did you know that ministry takes place outside of Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? I was at somebody's house last night. I got to the building at 6.15 yesterday morning, and I was at someone's house until 10 after 10 p.m., not a.m. I worked all those hours nonstop. And I went to my house and got into bed exhausted and was meditating on the Word of God and got up this morning, and I was, well, pastor, you're the pastor, and that's your job. No, no, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and, and I'm supposed to love the brethren, and I'm supposed to care for the brethren. And we've got to be careful that we don't make excuses for our inactivity and hide under the cloud or the guise of family time. Well, don't you think it's important to watch movies with my family? Well, of course I do. Where's the balance, though? Well, don't you think it's important for me to go on a vacation? Well, of course I do. Of course I do. But are you giving any time to the brethren? It's super quiet in here. I think this is still on. I'm talking to the mature church. I'm talking, at least I thought I was, I think I am, I do believe that I am. I'm talking to what the Apostle Paul called the saints and faithful I'm talking to the faithful. That's what he talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm talking to not just the saints, but those who are faithful, the mature, the fruit bearers. Right? That's you, right? Okay, then. I'm talking about the, that we can't just walk. If God so loved us, if God loved us enough to send himself, give himself sacrificially offer himself, his time, his plans, his will, his desires, then so should we also be willing. That doesn't mean 99 times out of 100 we've got to walk away from things that we have to do. We obviously go to church. We obviously go to work. We obviously spend time with our families. We obviously do those things. But we also need to stop hiding under this guise and say, well, and this is another one I love, well, I'm just studying. I'm just spending some time with the Lord. Well, that's cool. I, I mean, I like studying. I also like spending time with the Lord. That's cool. I, I enjoy that. But if I'm not out answering the call of the hurting people, now, I'm not even talking about the lost. I'm talking about the church, the brethren, and the cistern, too. He didn't say if you see some bum on the street who's lost and dead in their sin and you don't go and help them and preach the gospel to them, then the love of God. That's not what he said. He said if you see your brother in need. You don't do, I'm not even talking about evangelism. I'm not even talking about outreach. I'm talking about giving, giving Dio a call or giving Brian a call or giving Justin a call or giving Lauren a call. I can see that you're enthusiastic about my message tonight. It is absolute truth. It's not opinion. I'm just reading the Bible. That's all I'm doing, just reading scriptures. Not putting my opinion in it, not putting my twist on it. See, what, what the Lord, thank you, Jamie, what the Lord wants of us 
is a call to action. And it doesn't always have to come from the preacher. There's times, where, and I've said this before, there are times where we just have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, come on, bro, you can do better than this. You, you can do better than this. You can do better than what you're doing. You can, you, can, you can try to balance this out and give up some of your study time and give up some of your fellowship time and give some of your family time and help the brethren. Well, no, that's what the pastor's for. No, that's not what the pastor's for. In fact, I was with, uh, like I said, a couple last night, and, and the gentleman in this, this family said, you know, your job is to study the Word of God and to pray, not to wait on tables. But you know, the thing is, the reality is, if we don't have anybody waiting on tables, someone's got to. Someone's got to make sure that Justin's okay, and Brian's okay, and Lauren's okay, and that Paul and Wendy are okay, and so, someone's got to wait on the tables. This is how we know you pass from death unto life, because you, what? you love the brethren. You're not going to find anybody who's more evangelistic-driven than I am. There's no way to test that, but I just believe it's truth. We're so concerned about reaching the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ that we're forgetting about the brethren. And John in his, his epistle, is not talking about going and loving the lost. He's talking about you can't go love the lost until you learn how to love the brethren, until you love one another. For anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If we don't walk in unity, we're talking about the kingdom of God. If we don't walk in unity and in love, we're not going to have the power of God released. And I tell you this as well, you will not, you can have to some degree success, but you will not have the degree of success that you're desiring in reaching the lost if you don't know how to relate to the body. And I, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. See, we said this on Sunday. The pastor has to put themselves out there. And it's a risky business. Because no one wants to get told that you got to clean your room. And you got to clean up after yourself and make your bed. And stop doing that. And start doing that. But the Bible tells me that in love, I'm to tell you the truth. And that's my job, is to tell you the truth. Please do not misunderstand this. Because I'm not being crude. I am not saying tonight to hell with the lost. What I mean by that is literal, not cursing. To hell with the lost, let's just make sure that our little group is taken care of. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there needs to be a balance according to the Bible. Yeah. Not according to me, not according to our tenets of faith, but according to the Bible. Because everything that we're reading in the gospel Everything that we're reading in the epistle, what we're talking about tonight is in relationship with each other. Laying down our life, not for the lost. Giving of our last, not for the lost, for each other. And John asked this question. If you have this world's goods, and let's just take U.S. currency out of the equation and put time into the equation. 
If you have this world's good and you shut up, you see your brother, your brother in need, your brother, someone who goes to church with you, someone in fellowship with you, someone in the same community of believers as you, you see your brother in need and you shut up the bottles of compassion from him, where is the love of God dwelling in you? Now that may be a hard message for us to hear, but it's communicated in absolute love and it's communicated in absolute belief and confidence that we can do better. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that's been given to us. So we can do better, we need to do better, and we need to balance this out to where we're loving each other and loving the lost. We're to do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. We've got it backwards. Forget the household of faith, let's go do good to the lost. No, the emphasis is the other way. Do good to all men, but especially do good to those of the household of faith. Now, people have problems with the Bible. And they have for years. But this is a Bible church. I'm a Bible preacher. I'm a word of faith Christian. Amen? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to challenge and charge us to do better, that we can do better. And that if we really want to live and operate and dwell in this kingdom like we say we do, and I believe that we do, I don't believe anyone in this room is disingenuous when it comes to their desire to live, function, and operate in the kingdom of God. But if we really want to do that, Father, we're going to have to use common sense, good sense. We're going to have to use the Bible. We're going to have to do it, and we're going to have to use it, and we're going to have to live it. We're going to have to get serious about our brother and our sister in front of us and behind us and beside us. We're going to have to get serious about their concerns and their conditions and what they need. And all of us need to do a better job, because if we want the power to come just now, then we're going to have to walk in love and walk in unity. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you can do the work of tugging on the hearts. You pull on the heartstrings of your people to bind us. We used to sing that song in the church. Bind us together. Bind us together. Lord, bind us together in love. Bind us together. Bring us together as one. We would walk in love. We would walk in unity. That we would bear up one another's burdens. That we would share our time and share our treasure and share our lives. And Lord, I, I know that this wasn't Bible, but I, I really sincerely pray that we would be like the founding fathers of this nation, that we would pledge to each other our health, our lives, our livelihood, and our sacred, sacred honor, that we would pledge to one another we're going to stand for you until I can't stand anymore. And I believe because of the sacred honor that I take before God that when I can't give anymore to stand with you, someone else is going to come and give to me. That we can continue to stand together and walk together and function together. Lord, let it happen here. 
we pray it in Jesus' name. And then let us move from that place of power and that place of unity and that place of being together in love to absolutely sweep this county, this state, this nation, and the nations of the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the power of God be released and manifest from within us in that place of unity, walking in love. That's what I pray, Father. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask that you would draw us to repentance. Nick talked tonight about the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. That word truth is reality. Lord, let us be real with ourselves. Let us not live in foolish pride to think we've got stuff figured out that we don't. Let us not live in this fear and insecurity that we hide. And even say, oh God, please don't let anybody find out that I don't know what I'm doing. Let us lay aside the fear. Let us lay aside that that insecurity. Let us open up ourselves and our hearts to one another as we open up our hearts and ourselves to you. Lead us into repentance. Lead us into a heart change. Lead us into a mentality and a mindset change. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that this will be the most powerful church that the earth has ever known. Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? The most powerful church that this world has ever seen, that we walk in the love of God, and that we walk in a fellowship that you refer to as koinonia, that there's such an intimacy with each other. I pray it so, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let us learn to love one another. And from that, we'll grow to love the lost and love the dying, love the sin-sick and the sighing humanity can't love our brother that we do see how are we even going to love God who we don't see it's just on and on and on Father this is not opinion this is riddled throughout the word of God help us we ask it in Jesus name amen amen